Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, uh, I'm with a very special guest. Um, I've been talking a lot about AI briefly with uh, guests lately. Um, if you guys remember AJ Swade, we talked about it quite a bit and how um, I have so much content out and a lot of my guests have so much content out that probably they could make a, a, virtual, a virtual version of me or my guests and their music. And I uh, was on YouTube a few weeks ago and just scroll and some people use uh, TikTok. I'm more of a YouTube guy myself when it comes to rabbit holes. And uh, I saw Adele the Funky Homo Sapien AI music video off his song Virus. And um, if you guys don't know, that is off Adele's album Deltron 3030, which is probably one of the best albums of all time, in my opinion. And um, that song, when I first heard it, was right when COVID had just hit. And I eventually had Dell on and I talked to him about that. And um, so that song has a, a deep connection with me because of actually being able to talk to the artist about the creation of the song. And then to see an AI generated music video of it just blew me out of the water. And I am here with the creator of that music video as well as the Kim Jong-un emoji creator. His name is Ben Gillen. Um, back in 2016, um, when Kim Moji was popular, he made a parody of it called the Ch Kim Jong-un emoji. Um, so you might recognize him from that. He's also a web designer. And most recently, he's been getting into AI-generated music videos. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thank you so much, Nast. Appreciate you. Thank you so Good much. To be here. Yeah. So let's, I want to start, let's, yeah, let's start with your background. So how did you get into web design and i'm guessing you went to school for that and was sure. that something that was always on your mind growing up or is that what led you into that and uh, well i mean you can kind of see behind me but this this computer is from 84 right mm. so um i used to sit in my dad's lap and make things and mac paint and draw paint with actual media you know um so drawing photography computers artwork have just kind of in music have always just kind of been a part of my life and then mm -hmm. at some point i learned like graphic design was what i learned that was a, a career path and that's where i i kind of started my career as, as a graphic designer mm. um, but i learned like oh you can combine art and computers yeah. and you can get paid for it that's pretty cool let's do that um but yeah, like the the thing I wanted to be as a kid, I'll just tell you, it's kind of funny. I wanted to be in the NBA because everyone wants to do that. Yeah. But uh, not was not in my future. <laughs> <laughs> not even close, man. But uh, but yeah, that's just kind of how that those those things were all true to me. Basketball is like just a big part of my life. Enjoying it, playing it, yeah, uh, watching it. So it's I'm better watching it than I am playing it. So uh, artwork and computers worked out. Hell yeah. Um, LeBron James, I don't know if you, do you know what the Pro-Am is by any chance? Yeah. So the, the Pro-Am's in Seattle. It might be in other cities as well. But oh, um, he showed up, yeah. Yeah, he just showed up to Seattle and like Seattle was like, at least in the area, I think it was North Seattle. I forget the name of the college, but it, the Pro-Am is held at this college in Seattle. And like for blocks, there was just lines of lines of people wanting to see him. And um, I was out of town during that. That was like two weeks ago. When LeBron performed, not performed, played in the pro am in Seattle, but I remember when I was, I'd probably say I was 
probably 10 or 13 around there around that time um I was at the pro-am and uh, Kobe Bryant showed up and I remember like how crazy that was and then um, I think maybe that same season and if you guys don't know what the pro-am is it's like a Seattle basketball league where it's like imagine like fantasy football or fantasy basketball but like a real life so like imagine this wouldn't happen but imagine Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan on the same team so you kind of that's kind of what the pro-am is in real life um but like I think that same year like Blake Griffin was there too and um so I I, I can I connect with you on basketball I, I only that's played awesome. basketball yeah. like I only played it when I was like in fifth grade for like a season and we got sure. to the championships but um I know a little thing or two about basketball <laughs> that's fun yeah that's awesome yeah uh, uh I know that a lot of people waited for uh LeBron to be there and mm-hmm. and then they had to call the game early because it was such a humid sweaty floor that wow. everyone was sleeping um but yeah that would have been pretty wild also it's really cool for him to show up and like this is not an NBA team there anymore. They can let people kind of get a glimpse at some NBA action that's really unique. hundred percent. Like we yeah. have we have hockey for some reason again. We have Seattle Kraken, but Okay. Um, maybe we'll they re- literally like redid a um it was called Key Arena and I think it's because I think it literally is because Key Bank owned it. There's a Key Bank logo on the top of the arena, so I'm guessing that's why. But um it was bought by Jeff Bezos at the beginning of the pandemic and he excuse me and he changed it to climate pledge arena and now they have concerts there and our new hockey team maybe they'll put in a new supersonics team who knows and if they bring the supersonics back it'd be everyone would be happy about that mm-hmm. for sure yeah and the the, the culture in seattle still holds prominent with like with basketball like sean kemp i think he has a um he has like a weed sh- store in Seattle. Um, I think Jamal Crawford might have us a, a restaurant or two in Seattle as well. Like basketball people, basketball players from the Sonics are still kind of culturally and impacting. Is the what the pro who organized the pro amp um, that LeBron showed up to? It was like the crossover, I think is what they call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, my family used to be involved with the pro am. And um, the team that they were involved with was Jamal's team. So, like, I, I grew okay. up knowing Jamal's kind of craziness. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, enough about basketball, you know. Um, we're both nerdy guys here, right, I think. Um, so, were you ever were you ever into just painting then? or? Yeah. So, how did you, how did you come, how did you figure out that graphic design, like, was a crossover between painting and computers? And, like, when did graphic design even become really a thing? Hmm. A thing for me or a thing for like the world? For first for you, like how did you okay. truly discover it? Like I heard a little bit about it, but like yeah, like how old were you when you that. like went from painting or drawing into doing graphic design? And do you know yeah. the history of when graphic design became a thing? I mean, yeah, you could go back to the Gutenberg printing press for that to be a thing, but um, oh, true. It's like posters. Yeah, posters count as graphic design, huh? Yeah, I mean, even like block prints and things like carvings, you could argue that that's an early form of it as well. Um, huh. Like icons like drawn on caves. I mean, you know, hieroglyphs and things are like the first kind of version of an emoji, I guess you could say. Dun, dun, dun. That's a good yeah. point, huh? <laughs> um, But yeah, for myself, graphic design, let's see. I think I first touched Photoshop like 
it was mid 90s man like 95 96 mm-hmm. and it was version 5.5 and they had just come out with the like history panel so you could undo things and like before that you just had to had to accept every edit that you made <laughs> yeah um so photoshop was kind of the first taste of creating on the computer in a more complex way for myself mm-hmm. and um so that was i was in like junior high elementary school something like that when when i found that um and then in high school i started taking like i think they called them digital art class or they had it was a more old school name no one calls it maybe it's commercial art because they used to call graphic design commercial art so um i think there was still some remnants of that even though we were calling it as students other things the teacher kept calling it commercial art and we we're like no nah, that's not what it is <laughs> but um but yes yeah, so that was in high school i had a couple classes like that and i was still i mean i still do both traditional art painting and stuff now so it's never really like stopped doing it but yeah. i kind of just acquired graphic design skills in high school that were more strategic like they were assignments like make a flyer for a restaurant or like objective things like that for business goals because that's what the design world's really achieving is like visual arts but for achieving a marketing goal of some sort right um and then from there it was i was taking some school i was living in texas at the time so i'm in brooklyn i don't think we talked about that but i live in brooklyn now mm-hmm. but uh, most of my life i was texas and so um let's see i went to school like for one year at like a local school where i was at and then i transferred to houston to finish at the art institute Mm. and that's where i went and got like a strategic like a graphic design degree it was a fine arts degree but with a specialization in graphic design and from there it's it's like when i started my my career after that was the pure graphic designer and in my first job they said hey here's a website you're in charge of yeah like, oh crap what does that mean like yeah. i don't know let me just figure this out and they sent me to some classes that were more like even like a flash class it was still in that era mm-hmm. so um that led to just me just digging into that and like eventually leaving that job to go to like a, a web agency and just being a full-time web designer dope that's that's so crazy to think because i don't I, that's funny i literally when i think of graphic design i only think of it as like computerized but I guess yeah. So is there a better? What is there a better? Would you say web designer then? If you're like, what about cover art? Like if you're doing cover art on like, um, online, you're the same as a graphic designer who does it like pen and paper. Or is there a different I mean, name? Is it like computer graphic designer or something? I think today that lines blurred more. Like in the past, people were a little bit more resistant of like computer aided art right and now we're seeing like that is expected everyone's drawn on an ipad or on their phone or on like with wacom tablets and things Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's all accepted now as normal and now people are pushing back in the same way against like ai generated art in the same way it was just another tool so like i feel like each era has had like pushback against the um, incoming tool sets Mm -hmm. And like, even like in Adobe Illustrator at one point, there was a feature called live trace and it would take like a regular JPEG image and then it'd make it into vector. So it'd turn, turn it into vector for you without having to do it by hand. Yeah. You could tell it was live trace, just like you can kind of tell things are AI, but it was a new tool that we had. 
So, but people were mad about it existing because they're it was going to take designers' jobs, you yeah. know, and it didn't. It just gave everyone a new feature. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So, were your when you when you were growing up, was your family like excited for you to be in graphic design, or was that get an arts degree, or was it kind of a thing where like that's not a real job? Oh, I got pretty lucky with with my parents. Like, my mom's real creative. My dad's a little bit more like I'll call it like math brain, like just mm -hmm. very everything has a box and a place. My mom's a little bit more loose and creative with things and, and makes a lot of art and things herself. Mm -hmm. So like going back to when I was a little kid, it was just like, we had a sliding glass door and they would let me, my mom would just let me paint on it and then mm -hmm. it would dry and she would just chip it off. So um, I was lucky to have art classes from elementary school through art college. Right. And yeah. even recently I've, been taking like one-on-one -on -one oil painting classes with an artist here in Brooklyn. So uh, it's something that it's just kind of been a part of me. I got lucky with having that around as a kid. And then other family members are creative, like uncles or like construction, you know, general contractors, they're like designing houses mm -hmm. and there's all sorts of like do it yourself creativity. Um, so growing up with that, I had, like I remember, I still I think at my parents' house there's still some like ceramic pieces like I made in elementary school and that type of stuff. So mm -hmm. it's just like I have some of my art portfolio from high school, like still, you know. And um, but yeah, it's been drawing. I had a camera like in early elementary school and shooting film and things like that. Yeah. So anything I could do creatively is just to keep. If I'm putting things out instead of taking like consuming more information uh it just makes my brain happier to be honest so yeah. yeah would you say you're in tech then because i just had a, a guest on named sichi who's literally like a um an engineer and a software engineer and he makes music as well yeah versus are you some would that kind of be similar to what you do or would you say that you're an artist that uses technology to further their art. I mean, I identify as artist before designer. Okay. And because it came first and also it feeds the design and like the tech side of things. But I do know how to like build a website from scratch with code. And I know how to, um, like I've set up whole apps before and created them from scratch. So, but I don't consider myself a programmer or a developer. That was more to achieve some sort of like artistic goal, but I had to learn programming to do it. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, a, I don't know how to fully answer that one myself. It's hard to put myself in one of the boxes. I don't, that also is just, I push back against that. I'm like, Oh, am I, yeah. am I getting too understood in this one thing? Like I want to learn another thing then like, it's kind of a always growing mindset. So, like at my jobs, I've been primarily on the design side of things where I'm designing maybe a website the way it looks and feels and then working with a developer engineer, like a programmer to implement it. But I've also mm. been the guy implementing it. So, mm. uh, yeah, <laughs> so we do can you, do you summarize think, that one. Yeah. Do you think uh, artists accept technology at this point? Or do you think you're kind of like kind of ahead of the curve is it curve no curve not curve <laughs> ahead of the curve <laughs> to like accept um the, the overlap of technology and art hmm 
It's a good question. I I try to be learning something new, and that usually is finding like the edges of where things are. So usually in my friend group, at least, I'm the one showing them something new. Mm-hmm. Um, that friend group's pretty diverse, and there are a lot of different types of creatives and people that aren't creative and um everyone's creative in some sort so i don't even like that term but like there are people that make art there are people that are like real into like chefs that are real into cooking or like um even just people that are you know just like work at regular just kind of office jobs but Mm. uh i'm usually like making stuff and people are asking me how i made it or like um maybe i'm learning a new software just because i want to see how it's made to like then maybe influence something i'm making like always as a kid taking things apart to see how they worked and sometimes breaking them and not being able to use them again but uh that was equally as fun as playing with them taking them apart so um yeah always always learning tinkering playing with new technology and the consistent things are like painting, photography, drawing, and computers. But like what I'm doing with the computers changing all the time. Right. So did you did you know that you wanted to make a living? You know, I guess if you went to school for it, you wanted to make a living in art. But when you went to when you went to college for art, what was your main goals and like how are you going to make a living through that? Yeah. So that. Hmm. The. The school itself like had good marketing you know like to get you there and like when you get this degree you're gonna make x amount and that type of thing and and that was like it's never really been the motivator you know you need to make money to live in the world we live in but that's never been the thing that's like made me want to create something because that kind of comes secondary um and also if you're leading first with that like i i would say like the creation process gets a little tainted that being said like you need money to live right so um it's a motivating factor to like make a living where you're comfortable and 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 art has played a contributing factor to that Mm -hmm. um i would say like design the things where i'm making things for a business purpose to do a thing um those pay better so graphic design was was the like tool to get me there and Mm -hmm. And along the way, I've learned things that help me like grow just in that area in terms of graphic design or marketing or web design, or maybe it's app design, whichever thing it is now, um, or the next project, for instance, like those are all like stepping stones of growth. And so if I'm, if I'm learning, then I'm not bored, but if I get bored, then I'm looking for a new thing to do. And that usually comes from kind of maxing out what at least I'm interested in learning about it. Right. So do you think that's what keeps you in like design because tech is always changing yeah i think it is for me that's really stimulating like yeah there's always a new a new like gadget a new tool a new code base like the design principles that you can apply to them kind of stay the same there might be new like css right like it it's a language that helps you style the way a design on the website looks like the colors (laughs) spacing layout um, there's always new things being implemented in CSS, right? And there's certain browsers that can handle that, like the n- newer browsers, of course. Right. Um, but there's always like a new cutting edge, like CSS thing. So just in that little nook and cranny of web design, you could 
geek out all year round learning about something new just in there. Um, and so there's all sorts of little corners to just keep the interest alive, you know? And That's a um, good point. Like, cause I bet there's some websites now that are phone compatible that you probably couldn't use on like an iPhone three or something. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Or like, um, it's funny. I found this the other day. So like, it's my, it's a, <laughs> my, my iPad video, like the first one, yeah. it's still functioning. Um, it's not holding a battery, but it needs to be plugged in now. Like it no, no longer holds a charge. Yeah. But, um, like, could we load that up and put MP3s on it? Or was it kind of stuck in its place and time, you know? Yeah. By the way, the albums, the it's all like 2005. Like it's stuck in that world. Dang. Um, it's an artifact. But, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, but to your point, like, we might be able to put things there, but we'd probably have to go find that era software to load in there. Yeah. Uh, or like the first iPad or the iPad, um, iPhone. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have an app store, right? So. Yeah, I was. Um, I have an iPod five that I was trying to. I was. I wanted to turn it into like a remote for. Um, yeah. What was it? It was. It was. It was either like a light or a camera or something that you can download an app that would turn it into a remote but it was so old and even an iPod five is not even that old. Maybe like that's 2016 or something. Right. And it was like, it was old enough though that you couldn't even open the, the app store and it was touchscreen and it had the camera on the front and the back and it was very sleek. And I was like, wow, you can't even open an app store on this anymore. It was and wild. Some of that's strategic on Apple's part because they'll kind of require developers to, make software for the newest versions right um, and then over time they like as developers per app get to choose which version they're supporting backwards compatibility wise mm-hmm. and um, some things are forced out of their control too so um, lifespans have gotten shorter on like the technology and its use its usability and like everything rapidly increases in terms of like the newest thing coming out. So I, there's been proven tampering with software updates where like, if you update to the newest version in the iOS, then it will slow down your operating system and things like where yeah. they'll make you feel like you have an issue. So you upgrade your phone. Yeah. 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 I, I've heard about yeah. that, but shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't we get to a point in technology where eventually you shouldn't have to continue to up upgrade or update? If it's that evolved at a certain point, right? I mean, ideally, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, even like, so I'm on a, this laptop's not the newest MacBook Air, but it's the one that just, not the one that just came out, but the one from before, mm. the M1 chip. And before that, I had like the, I think 2016, like the first touch bar. Yeah, um, yeah. And... Even like if I both if I open Photoshop at the same time on both computers, it's like a minute and a half, and then like almost instantaneous on this one. Hmm. And so, I don't know. I feel like if they were both brand new machines, never used, there might be some competition there. But I I feel like they do slow down over time, just from usage. So, and then the new technology like we're accessing on the device, right? Like the newest websites, the newest apps, and that that problem do they require something that that old machine doesn't have? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like if you look at Star Wars, <laughs> if you look at Star Wars, you never like, oh, this is the new blah blah blah. It just seems like they're able to fucking go through wherever, use yeah. the same weapons, <laughs> and it seems like it's fine. They're never they're never I would love that. Yeah. So, <laughs> what were you saying? My bad. Oh, I would just say I would love that just to be able to like not have to upgrade a like the closest I've come to that is ha- like a monitor maybe like yeah. in terms of just letting or this microphone like I've had this for like a decade like mm-hmm. it may sound like that I don't know sorry everyone but uh <laughs> it works it works still works great like in like I have a DSLR camera that is still just trucking along 10 years later it's it still shoots beautiful photos you know yeah um but i don't know iphone would be nice to not have to upgrade but i feel like it's part of built into culture a little bit so so if you're a web designer do companies give you like technology to use or do you have to like do you have to already have that stuff in use like you of course you already know how already have to know how to use like adobe or websites or whatever but like do they ever give you like the right equipment or do you have to already um, Hmm. have that equipment well, it depends. Like, so, um, like currently I'm, I'm a full-time employee at a, at a, at a, at a job and, but like I've freelanced in the past. So it depends on like the arrangement with the job. Mm. Um, it could be like a contract gig or a freelance gig where you're, it's like bring your own equipment because you, you're probably doing it. Like we're doing like remotely right now, mm. right? We're doing this interview. So, um, like I occasionally do freelance work where, I'll build a website for like a small business or um, like do album artwork for a musician or, you know, like different things like that. And most of the time, all of that is expensed on my end. But like if it's a website that has custom functionality or needs like a certain software that might have a license, then that's like part of the price of the project for the client because it's not something that I need. They need it. So um, they usually usually paying for my time and mm. For like an end result and then there there's additional prices of like licenses and things like that that they might need um, yeah because it's kind of yeah. i i'm young so i'm this is like what is it it's i'm just saying from what i've understood there was a point where like you had to pay like thousands of dollars to like have someone create a website or do graphic design for you and it's kind of cool that now people can do like freelance or like I forget what podcast I was listening to, but this comedian was making a joke about like how they like spent thousands of dollars on someone to make like a promo video for them or something, and now you just see someone go on TikTok behind like a shitty green screen or sometimes not even a green screen and get like millions of views. So it's kind of crazy how all this technology has been given to like the public now. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's great. It's like it's democratization. Like everyone has the tools. Like it's how you use them that matters, and like, not everything that's polished. People, I, mean, I feel like people want less and less polished mm. work. Like they want something that's authentic. So it's a, if it's polished and authentic, then that that'll work. But you can have something like, this kind of quality is crappy, but the content's good. Yeah. And like for instance, I'll use a non-content thing, but like a website everyone knows, like Craigslist, right? And it is ugly, <laughs> yes. like, right? So it's just, it's not good looking. 
um <laughs> it's, it's functional it gets the job done it like works so like that is an interesting design challenge right i never thought uh, about that that is such an ugly website <laughs> yeah or like amazon even like ebay they're not good looking they just sort content well yeah yeah so <laughs> i think that being said the content's good right like yeah. so i feel like that's true for like tiktok or youtube um mm. memes even like if it's a really polished quality image it's not really a shareable meme it needs to look like quote unquote like deep fried right so it needs yeah. to look a little bit like it's been shared and it's lost data and so it loses quality and that like a misspelled meme works better than a a meme that's spelled correctly. Yeah, but don't you at the same point like if you're an artist and you've been working on this type of stuff like even simple as a meme like if I was to make a meme I would want to make sure everything's spelled correctly and like each promo video I make even though they're under a minute long that easily takes me hours of time to make. Right. But like it seems from my understanding like you're kind of excited though that these like resources and tools are available. For use. Yeah. So what are your opinions on the other side where people are kind of like upset that these are available for everyone to use when they've like mm -hmm. used to slave hours and hours to work on this type of content yeah. or whatever? I mean, it depends. Like, so giving everyone the tools, right? It, it The cream always like rises up to the top. Like you, people, like good content gets surfaced and, and yeah. that's... You never know, like, as a creator, like, I'm sure you know this, like, firsthand, like, you never, the things that pop off never are what you're, like, planning for, expecting, and things you plan for don't work. Yeah. Like, so, um, I don't, I don't know when and what is going to be cool that I make, but, like, in terms of the, like, your question around, could you reframe it again? Like, like what I'm do you sorry. think? I don't even know if, the gatekeeping mindset, I guess. Yeah. I guess that maybe, would you say that like bad. holds people back? Yeah. I feel like people that are gatekeeping are holding themselves back really. Mm. Like there are like, yeah, it's, it's, so it's gatekeeping like, oh, that's not art or no, that tool. Like if you use that specific tool, it's not an outcome that's quality or like, I feel like, so for instance, like the most recent version of that is AI things. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that people, one, they're just getting mad at something without understanding it. So that's, that's one. Um, or like if it's a new Photoshop feature that maybe like lets you stretch the background and then it fills in the difference of what would be in the background like that's a small version of AI that we've had for a long time. It's like content aware fill. Yeah. And like that feature annoyed a lot of people too. And so because in the past you had to go in and like hand paint it to look like it's filled in correctly and not even hand painting. Cause then people argue that Photoshop's not painting. Right. So like the argument kind of like has many layers. Right. Um, but I think that the people that are complaining usually aren't, aren't curious themselves like they feel like they're being left behind so then they like say it's that thing's fault mm -hmm. that's doing that to them but then there's the same amount of people if not more that are like digging into it and sharing what they're learning and 
showing people like hey this is a thing that's possible like but it's just the different it's like growth and static mindset like you either like growing and learning or you're like staying put like and i i'm always trying to like learn when the times where i'm stopped making things i've gotten really depressed you know so i feel like that energy is understandable if you've ever like stopped making things and gotten a little depressed then you can understand why people might be lashing out at something that makes them feel like inferior in some ways 100 percent. yeah what, what side were you on like when i guess they're still around like nfts like what side were you on when they first came out hmm i didn't have a strong opinion when they first came out like i just is more like curiosity like just trying to understand it and even with crypto like mm. i will say i i i laughed at crypto so i'll, I'll back it up to crypto and come back to nfts if that's yeah. cool um like I was at a web agency in like 2009 to 2011 and there was some people there that were like setting up mining rigs and they were getting like they were mining whole bitcoins at some points mm-hmm. you know and um they were telling me I should get in on it and I just was like oh that's really dumb like yeah. <laughs> this was really judgmental yeah. there's no like trying to understand it or anything like that it was just kind of like oh that's not that's not a thing this is a very total total dismissal mm-hmm. and i mean look where it's at now right so um because i was wrong with that i've tried to not do that again right. i've like so if, if there's a bunch of people that are interested in something there's something valid about that even if i don't personally care about it you know that's a good and, point yeah like i don't know whatever tv show that we all think is too dramatic a million people are into it you know what i mean so um and uh, yeah, just any like any drama television show that's just to make you not think about your own drama, you know? Yeah. Um, but like going back to NFTs, I think so. Crypto is interesting just from the technology that's underneath it, the transparency with like blockchain. I think that's that's really cool, especially mm-hmm. from like an ownership of your own content and your IP. So, and seeing where transactions are being made, and that can be applied to anything. So that's really neat but i think nfts like i have one but it was gifted to me for like attending some tech event right <laughs> yeah dope. and so like it's just kind of like a it feels like a, like a digital sticker to me like it's like here's a little like souvenir um it grants me access to like a future event and like some other things so I, there's some cool community things that happen with nft but the actual tech behind it being able to like meant something and put it onto the blockchain i think is really interesting and i think this version of whatever nfts are currently yeah like the little collectibles it feels like um isn't going to be the thing that they become like i feel like it's the beginning it's the infancy of an nft and it's kind of a mouthful of a name also like there's not a real like we know that that was made by developers and not a marketing team Mm -hmm. you know so um yeah i feel like yeah so good no i I was saying i've i've heard the idea that maybe this might be a little simple but like nfts could maybe eventually be like a concert ticket or something yeah you know like it just helps solidify that that's your ticket or or whatever so i feel like we might still be a little bit of a ways out from that type of stuff but I, i see that being a realistic thing that could happen or yeah. um, like Tory Lanes, I think it was Tory Lanes, like last year, or the year before, 
he dropped an NFT album and like, what was it? I think he only sold like one copy or very little copies for like something like $10,000 or something. And like oh, within an instant, I think it was like within like 10 seconds, he became a plat. The album went platinum because of the price range of it compared to like, if you were to sell multiple albums that led to that <laughs> price range, you know? So that's, that, awesome. that's kind of cool to see things like that start to happen. Yeah. Um, there but, are like community driven things. Like, so if you buy, if you buy a certain NFT, like you can think what you want about board eight club, like it yeah. feels like a rich, a rich club, but like they're the one that's always in the news. Right. So buying one of their NFTs gets you access to events or whoa, like special like discords. That's just everyone that has one. So you can get into these kind of exclusive clubs, um, which like I know people that have had like a board ape and like um Flex. other <laughs> yeah, like and other other things. But like they some people that have had access to some of these groups, like they're also saying it just kind of feels like I don't know, like just like tech bros talking to each other. You know what I mean? Right. So it It's not as full potential yet by any means. Right, but you're also getting these like small communities that are closed off, right? And then that's like the price of entry is very high. So it kind of, in my opinion, goes against like some of the beginning ethos behind the internet, which is like opening it up to the world. Um, you can find your people, right? Like we both were were connected because we both uh, love Dell, right? Yeah. So like that's um, uh, the internet does that, which is really cool. And I think NFTs if we're not careful, we're going to become more like exclusive silos of communities. Mm. And like crypto as a whole is talking about decentralizing things, but it's also just a bunch of centralized places. Like it's not, it's decentralized, but there's no connectivity between the decentralization. Right. I also feel like crypto is kind of a thing where you really need money to make money with that type of deal. You know? So like, there's different levels. There's either like you're either need money to buy crypto and then, you know, the stock goes up or whatever. Or on the other side, I've had friends who have made crypto and literally to make a successful coin, because my friend, one of my friends has made multiple, you need a crazy marketing budget, like tens of thousands of dollars to get it in the eyes of everyone you know so like even then you need money to make money that way so it's still like i don't i don't think i don't think like just the because you're you're in brooklyn i don't think like the average like um teenager in brooklyn's like man i need to get that crypto right now you know what i mean they're more probably thinking about how i can buy this new pair of jordans or whatever so maybe maybe find maybe if society finds a way where you need to have crypto to buy that pair of Jordans or something? Or I think we're on start... the way there, to be honest. Like, there's a lot of, hmm, there's a lot of, like, tools, like, a lot of parts in the, like, Web3 space. There's, like, the blockchain, there's cryptocurrency, there's NFTs, but there's also just regular internet things, right? Like, there's, like, Discord's, like, a, a chat program, right? Like, mm-hmm. at its core. And but it's just 
arranged differently than it has been in the past. And there's all like YouTube's going to be around, like it's not going anywhere. Um, like there's these like email exists, right? So like we just have like new tooling that is emerged and is now gaining momentum, even though a lot of it's been around for like a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think what's next kind of like when people came to America, like, and then they're moving West and they're, and then there was like railroads built and there was roads built and that type of thing. Like there was destinations already in the places that people needed to, or were trying to get to and wanting to be. Yeah. But like, no, like people that got rich back then were like the people that built the railroad, not necessarily like sold the things, you know? Mm. So people are now, now there's like, I don't know, um, Coinbase is like one place where people can buy crypto or um, like OpenSea is where people can buy NFTs, right? So like, and those are connected, like you can buy things connected to that. Uh, but like, once you buy the NFT, like there's not a really like a real good way to like for people to see that, that you have it, which is kind of probably the point, right? So people now are like putting that in their profile photos on Twitter or wherever. And, but it's really like groups of people that know about it, but it's not really like serving a full purpose in like everyday life. Like, so there's, there needs to be more like common uses of these same technologies that help you do daily tasks so you're saying like buy some shoes mm. like that type of infrastructure of being able to do everyday things is is what would make if people made some of these like connective tissue pieces that help people do specific i don't know tasks everyday things like then those people are going to get even more rich you know like paypal was kind of like an early version of that type of service like help people move money across the internet. Yeah. And everyone got rich involved with PayPal, you know? What, what, what would be your um, defense towards people who are like, why are we even talking about like NFTs or Bitcoin? And why would we want that to be in society in general? Hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, the way I think about it is like a little bit of why not? Like I, I'm not invested in it at all. Right. Mm. So, um, so don't send your NFT hate <laughs> me. You know what I mean? But like, uh, like I find it interesting, but I feel like it's as real as any other money. Like to be fair, like money is just an idea we all agree upon as having value. So Bitcoin's no different than that. And the fact that it's like, or crypto as a whole, like is transparency involved, which there isn't in like our current monetary system mm -hmm. just like new money can be made at any point like what is the cost of that we don't know it's just kind of like all an idea and a belief and so at least it's quantifiable like you know how many bitcoin exists there's a certain amount yeah and that's interesting um everything being like on a ledger that you can go back and see what's what's happened is interesting um, and then like ownership of assets and like, like the lineage of an, an asset is interesting. So I think all those components can be used for good or bad. Um, but they, they like yield, like, I think a greater good than they do harm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
just from being around it and like seeing how it's been going and i have a lot of friends that are deep in in those worlds so i get into a lot of like conversations with them and we get into hypotheticals and um and none of them are su- like they're not super excited about like nfts are excited about like future possibility mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and i i think we're, we're, we're definitely i'm 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 loosening you and the audience up to eventually talk into ai because i'm i've been obsessed with that stuff lately but um and a lot of the audience that checks out this podcast are are artists artists themselves usually music artists but um other genres as well i'm open to whoever um but i i really think it's important to have have you on so like a performing artist can like understand the connection between like a graphic designer besides just like cover art you know like how you're looking at how how technology is pushing your craft forward and then how a performing artist can look how that pushes their craft forward as well just like the Tory Lanez example you know or um ticket sales or anything like that like I feel in my opinion especially because I live in a tech city a lot of artists in Seattle are very against like um, corporate stuff that goes on in Seattle and tech, right? But Seattle is almost one of those cities where artists and tech should be working more hand in hand together. And that's not to say because there is also a thing where like a lot of artists that solely do art hate when it's like a tech bro doing art, you know? Sure. But like yeah. artists that are artists that want to connect with tech or don't know how to connect with connect connect, connect with tech should because nfts and tickets can go hand to hand um selling like uh your album art and there's like different variations as an nft or whatever and then connecting with a web designer like you to make something like that possible like this is all like one big community that should understand on um you know the bare minimum of how things connect because i'm by no means uh, mastermind at Bitcoin or NFTs whatsoever. Right, yeah, exactly. But I've heard enough about it to understand that if I'm in a city where we have, you know, Jeff Bezos and, and Bill Gates and we have a space a SpaceX literally like 20 minutes away from Seattle, you know, we, we should, as artists, understand how um, we can connect and not despise each other or think just you know shoo something away you know what i mean yeah. um, i think there's some like healthy you need to have like a healthy pushback against everything like right. every that's not just tech but like you should be skeptical of most things right mm-hmm. like i think just accepting something at face value never works out that like you, you just you should push back a little bit like lead with openness but like question everything yeah and and so like I'm slow to get into NFTs, but like also, and like crypto and all this world. But there's more people that are like not looking into it as well. So like not understanding new tech kind of leaves you to new dis like at a disadvantage in some ways because it's gonna exist without you. Right. Um. That being said, like I have to get off of a machine, like a computer, and like go outside. Like I take my easel outside and paint sometimes. Like. And you know what I mean? So yeah. like I have to go stand barefoot in grass to just kind of like feel, feel non-digital, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like 
the the art world like i'm like you're talking about like fine artists and musicians mm -hmm. and like tech they're all using it to get like some level of tech right now like yeah every, yeah and, <laughs> yes. that's a good yeah. point like any like, DAW or anything you're using <laughs> yeah like every company is a tech company like google facebook we already know like those are tech companies but like i don't know like you're the dentist that you went to recently like had some sort of digital scheduling thing i'm sure you know what i mean so right. they're tech enabled at least yeah um so it's it's around us like it's where we're headed i think being rooted in like physical media live performance that's probably one of the more healthy forms of creativity being on the computer all the time to create can just make you like your body can be like people just sit at a computer all the time mm -hmm. that's that's unhealthy behavior also so like having a healthy relationship with technology is important and social media and just like time away from screens to let your eyes rest. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to figure out. If you think about it, I'm a fucking podcaster. I fucking just sit and talk all day. I'm trying to figure out how to do a healthy balance of that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, um, that's, but you're enjoying it, right? Yeah, so like that I'm is, definitely that, am. But like, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I've, uh, I took two weeks off from the podcast. My anniversary was on August 18th, I think, of the three-year three, three anniversary of the podcast. Nice. And I, I went on a cabin trip for a week, and then I stayed home for the second week and just, you know, just felt like recollecting myself because – and it's already started, if you think about it. Like, because um, I, I guess I had an interview on Friday, and now we're on Tuesday – and now I'm already three interviews deep again into podcasting. Um, but these those two weeks, I really took time to think about, like, when I am podcasting and I'm in the deep of it, like, in the thick of it, I guess, I'll blink and it'll be, like, five months later, which isn't – I am I love what I'm doing, but that might not be that healthy with, like, you know, thinking about, like, like I'm really – I'm almost too focused on what I'm – I'm doing so those two weeks off was very important to like get grounded again you know um so yeah i need to find a healthy technology with i mean <laughs> healthy um relationship with technology because like when i'm not interviewing people i'm i'm editing you know like i i, I easily spend i don't even want to know how many hours editing a week i spend but it's uh it's gnarly i'll tell you tell you that much but um i don't know because because you're you're on you're, you're a web designer how, how do you find your you said you go outside and and paint but what are, what are some other ways you possibly um you know decompress from being on technology sure. um like just try to get outdoors like i live i don't know if you know brooklyn but um big park in the middle of brooklyn is prospect park and i'm okay. not far from there so i can um, within about 10 minutes, I could be at, at the park and walk outside as, you know, and be out, you do walk for like a couple hours and be in the park. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, my dog and I have to go on, on walks multiple times a day. Uh, it's good for both of us, but yeah, walking, um, like lifting at the gym, um, like yoga. Yeah. Uh, but like even just sitting on the couch and, and drawing on paper, right? Like that, that is 
for me a break that's meditative like meditation for me like i can sit there and create and then get ideas out of my head some of, like writing and drawing kind of happen on the same page so it's just getting things out and then i feel like that's more like uh like you're like defragging your computer you know mm-hmm. like you're just keeping everything even um but yeah those are some ways like catching up with friends going on a like a hiking trip like that type of stuff is all recharging for me and yeah. those are all like just away from the machine which the computer always i mean it, it it's way where i make my money right like building it's so, like my actual like title at my job is a product designer because like internally at companies people call like an app a, a product mm-hmm. so um and that's weird because in my earlier career a website like you're still a product designer if you're designing a website more than likely at jobs now yeah um and but it's it's transitioned from like we were talking about commercial artists to like graphic designer um there's still graphic designers but now people call them like visual designers mm. um and so that over time the naming has changed but the tasks are essentially the same but the the tools have also changed um and but yeah it's uh it's kind of interesting but yeah those are in basketball occasionally i haven't been doing too much of that recently uh i tore calf muscle in 2019 so oh man been doing more like biking and things on the ground yeah <laughs> so yeah that's a good point but i guess also you made a good point that like even when you're not on technology you still like to do art and things and yeah i guess i have to like i i tell people that i, I do podcasts and stuff but also i have to realize podcasting is part of my life versus just saying i do podcasting because sometimes people make jokes i'll just be hanging out with them and they'll be like is the podcaster voice on right now or the podcaster questions oh, on right funny. now? In, right. But then, yeah. and sometimes, you know, I'm just being me. I'm just excited to talk to people, but I guess that's also different from just editing all day. So maybe accept that podcasting is a part of who I am, but editing and being at uh, a laptop or a monitor all day doesn't have to be. Yeah. Part of I mean, my, that's, yeah. that's like a side effect of you wanting to like being curious and wanting to talk to people. Right. Like, yeah. so you, you get recharged from having these conversations and then like the work probably is more the editing. Yeah. Like, that's a good point. But, yeah. So I wouldn't even say like podcasting, uh, there's many components, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, like you're wanting to like talk about creativity at, at your core. So, and then that inspires you and then whoever's watching and like it has a ripple effect and that's mm-hmm. like so by creating you're helping other people create and like that's really cool but then the like the tedium of editing right like, yeah that could i'm assuming wear on you because that's the longer like less fun part but the fun part of publishing comes at the end of it yeah yeah so let's let's get into let's get into um ai now I think sure. I think we're all warmed up, um, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, <laughs> people of whoever. This might get a little nerdy, but I've been this. You're the first person I feel like I can genuinely like talk to about like AI type stuff, which is really sure. cool. Um, I have no idea. First of all, I don't know if you know who this is by any chance, but do you know who Duncan Trussell is by any yeah. chance? So Duncan Trussell is like one of my favorite podcasters. Um, most people know. Um, him from the Midnight Gospel, which is 
a cartoon he has on Netflix, um, which is really cool. It's his podcast turned into like dialogue for these characters. Um, but he's also a comedian and he's really big into interviewing. Like, uh, he had the guy, he literally had the guy who, um, outed Google for making like that sentient AI. Like that guy came on his show. He interviews like wizards. He interviews just like craziness. Right. And, um, one of his, this might've been a few weeks ago, a few months ago at this point, but he had brought up, um, is it, was it mid journey? Yeah. Well, actually, okay. Back up a little bit. Duncan Trussell plays an important part of why I'm obsessed with AI. Okay, guys. He's um, he's a very eccentric podcaster and comedian, and he likes to interview people of all types. But before that, um, one of my favorite YouTubers is named uh, Meat Canyon, and crazy name, but he's um, <laughs> he like turns like all your favorite childhood cartoon. TV show or movie into like a messed up like short where he recreates everything and like you're like scarred by the end of the video. It's, oh, no. it's really funny, um, but he's he's an amazing talented artist, um, visual artist. And uh, a few months ago, he had an episode solely dedicated to App Wombo, which is the first. Do you know what App Wombo is? First time hearing it. So app.wombo was the first AI-generated um, website that I had heard of because he had been promoting it. And you literally type in, um, actually, my my personal, it's not, anyone can follow it, but my personal Instagram is Blake Nast, and my cover, my profile picture is uh, Seattle on fire. And it's, I typed into app.wombo, Seattle apocalypse, and that was the artwork that, um, the website had generated and like each time you type it in, it'll be a completely different generated piece of form. And the more, um, the more strict, like the more, if you're like Seattle on fire with trees and blah, 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 the, the more detailed you are, the more detailed the picture will be. And you could do different styles and things like that. And that's how I figured out what, um, AI artwork was. And then a few months later after that, Duncan Trussell, had been talking about mid journey and how it gave you like four different sections to be like oh I kind of like this style and then you click one style and then you type in some more stuff or whatever and it 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 um, makes it even more cleaner and more cleaner until it's like a, a masterpiece versus app.wombo it only gives you like one option if you don't like it it's like reset it but um, mid journey is a pretty pretty in intricate AI um, platform that you kind of you have to have a um, kind of been recommended to go into like you have to have a what is it called you kind of it used to be in like a beta invite and then um, oh it's not beta they anymore it up, they opened up recently to oh, wow. yeah the public so um, it's actually become the biggest Discord over over Minecraft wow so I yeah. found Mid Journey when it was in beta yeah and I literally had gotten an invite to start using it and um so and that's the platform that you use correct yeah and i I also use dolly and i've used like crayon and i've like another one's called like night cafe i've tinkered with a bunch of them but mid journey is my favorite yeah hell yeah and um he um ben has been releasing music videos that have been gaining a lot of attention on youtube i don't know if you post on other platforms as well 
Instagram as well, but YouTube's where it's taken off. Got it. Yeah. And that's that's how I discovered um, Ben. And I think it really is YouTube watching me, knowing that I've been looking into Mid Journey and that I've interviewed Dell, and it came together. Um, and that baby was Ben. <laughs> but um, tell me how you figured out about Mid Journey, and did you were you following other AI art before that? Sure. Um, and I, I don't want to like hijack the question, but if I back it up to 2018 mm-hmm. is when I first like started tinkering with AI. Oh wow. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Stephen Wilkinson, uh, uh, he created an a machine learning algorithm or an AI um, called Rap God, which is no longer around, but it learned all the lyrics from like genius and and every other like poetry and rap like creative writing style like that that was in song or poetry form mm. and trained up an ai on all these writing styles um and so then in the app itself you could it's essentially a rhyme book so you could write your own raps but then you could solicit the help of an ai to like write the next line in the style of Kanye or write the next line in the style of like, I don't know, Travis Scott or whoever you want to like, you could select like a rappers or like a, a brain from another artist and like rhyme this word and then like choose the new like rhyming word for a word that you selected. So we created this, he created that technology. Um, then they got accepted into a, a program called Techstars out in Los Angeles, and they fund startups to like just like go through a program, like a twelve-week program, where they help you and then try to get funding at the other end. Um, so that was really interesting. I got to go through that program with Stephen and a team of people, but I was the lead designer on the team, and mm. we made the app and like presented it at demo day, and we're working with different people like in the music industry to like make that happen. Um, so that was like my first, it was like you writing text and then it outputs text, right? So kind of like a smaller version of what we now have, like you can do a lot of these things with a text to text generation called GPT-3 mm-hmm. on open AI. Um, and there's a lot of different things that you can generate, you know, write a story um, or like a, TV script in the style of a certain, like, write a Seinfeld television show with the characters from uh, Rick and Morty. You know, like, <laughs> you, you can do stuff like that now. But back then, we were trying to, like, if you could capture something as creative as rap or poetry and make it a predictable outcome, then you could do something with the same technology more structured, like a blog post or a legal document. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, that was kind of like my first taste into like what AI is and like is a little bit of a black box where you're not sure what's happening, but you know all the things it's learned from. So you can kind of make deductions of like, oh, it knows about all of these things. So we can now like understand that if you put this in, it might come out this way and you can kind of, but you can't fully control that output, which is interesting because then who owns the output, right? Mm -hmm. That's like a big question. But fast forward to like June. Um, Yeah, in June, I got access to Mid Journey. 
and like late June. Got and it. then I was just, I think that first day I had access, I think I stayed up to like 4 a.m. just making stuff. Mm. Um, I already had access to like Crayon. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have it's not. Like a, it's an early version. It's a free version, uh, early version of um, OpenAI's Dolly. Okay. Um, and Dolly does, does more like photorealistic AI um, generated stuff and a little bit like it's less artistic and it's more re representational. Hmm. Um, whereas Mid Journey is learned primarily from artwork. Um, it's algorithms based on artists, which is like, we could argue the ethics around that. Right. Like, but if like, yes, yeah, so you can choose like an artist, like some of the videos that I've made are like in the style of a specific artist, like Dolly and Escher too, that I picked and like Basquiat and mm -hmm. like, those are not to like make something that takes away from them, but it's like inspired by, because it's something new. Um, and I feel like it's not too different than if I'm like listening to Deltron on my headset, right? in the headphones and I'm drawing on my iPad and I make a mashup of things that I'm thinking about. Like I have full control over that outcome, but like putting that idea into mid journey gets me like an idea of what that might be quicker. Hmm. I don't think that outcome is mine. Like me putting in text, getting an image. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's mine. It feels like it's my idea. But it feels like I'm like, maybe like contracting someone to do a project. Right. Like, if I asked someone to design a logo, I can give them like my like constraints and like what I want that to be an outcome that I'm looking for. And then they come back with some artwork, right? It's the same process. So, that's drumming up some fears in some people, but also you can tell it's AI. So like, I think all of July, I was just messing with AI, like little, like on my Instagram, you can go back to that point and you can kind of see some like earlier versions of what these videos might look like, but they're just like single images kind of like fluttering around. Mm -hmm. I was like a happy accident. I like, accidentally generated the same image like you can like you mentioned it says like you can input text and they call that a prompt so right. you you structure your prompt and then you have it imagine that uh, it's really neat you say imagine and then you put in what you want it to imagine mm -hmm. and then it shows you a grid and then if you want one of those options to be larger you can upscale it and upscaling means it makes it bigger but it interprets what all those details are because it's like low res in the grid mm -hmm. and then it becomes like high res and then there's one more layer of that where you can upscale it again and that requires a paid account with them but i've been doing that version so i can get these like high resolution images out of it mm -hmm. and they're not that great for print like i think at 300 dpi which is what you want to print things at um and screen resolution is more 72 dpi right um so if you like make it where it's 300 DPI, it's around five and a half inches at the longest side that you can print a mid journey image at the appropriate resolution Got for it. printing. Right. Um, so I was like learning these like constraints of what the AI could do image wise. But in one of those upscales, I thought I hadn't pushed the button yet. And so like 
I kept pushing it and then it spit out like 10 of the same image, each one like slightly different, mm. but just s slightly different. So like if you notice in the videos, they're kind of like a little bit of like, a weird texture moving around. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. How did you make it move? Yeah, that was just an accident, like a glitch that I like. So now I like intentionally make certain amounts of the images to then loop together to give it a texture because on a static like if you just put the image it's like a slideshow and like a, even if you had film grain it would still just be like a shot slides yeah. like film grain god this is a cool image but then this becomes like it, its own i don't know what to call it like it's its own thing um but i started doing these like little visuals like that and putting like a music track to it on instagram just like choosing something for for a reel like choosing the audio mm -hmm. um and then putting like a single image, like Michael Jordan playing Michael Scott in one on one, you yeah. know, like, what does that look like? And then um, like Michael Jordan as an actual goat, you know, like, what does that <laughs> look like? So like, 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 so those are some of my like, like Bob Ross, with, but his hair is made out of Weird Al Yankovic, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just like weird thoughts that I can draw. And I've drawn a lot of things in the past that are weird like that. Um, but like the AI is thinking differently than I would, like my outcome would also be weird and, but it would have a human touch to it. These, these are weird in a way that isn't human. And that is to me very exciting because it's new, but at the same time, there's people that like, I get comments like all the time on these videos now, like this is soulless. It doesn't have like. It's just interesting to me. I'm not. I don't take anything personally with the feedback. Um, but do you think? Do you think? Do you think uh, the fear is valid with people being like maybe directors are going to lose their jobs or certain artists might lose their jobs or what would you say to that? It maybe it, it it might happen. Like, I think if you're learning the tools and you're making things with it, then you're not losing anything. But you're also not necessarily going to have something taken from you. Like they're going to serve different purposes. And some, some things like, I don't know what the, I don't even think it's really a music video. I just didn't know what to call it. I just like, here's a thing. It's to music. It's not, not a music video. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a thing. Um, but I just tried to make it like digestible to understand. So I think, I don't think it's at a place. Like I don't think AI is smart enough or like mature enough let's put it that way it's very smart but it's smart like in a limited knowledge like each ai is smart with its like specific thing when we talk about decentralized stuff there's no connective tissue between ais right, right. and so that's going to be that way for a very long time and it would have to be intentional for them to like integrate and that would have to be a human doing those things so at, like there were times when we were generating text like writing in the in the rap book right like and it would kind of glitch out and then start talking about itself but was it really like or is do rappers just talk about themselves so the thing it learned from is like self-referential mm -hmm. so like it's all about me like bragging or like talking about what i'm up to or it's a lot of me and i in the text that it learned from so um it's really interesting and you said you're on mid journey right yeah like they have a a weekly i think they call it open office but they do like it's the founders of mid journey talking 
in a room and they ask questions like for people to submit questions and they call on people and they bring them on stage and people just not to say on stage like it's just audio um but you can hear them speaking about it and they're talking about philosophies and things like that so they're not wanting people at mid journey made me feel more comfortable like diving in further into it because they're like thought processes that needs to assist humans and it shouldn't replace people it should just be another creative tool um like a photoshop yeah like yeah so those would be like, some cool people to have on the podcast actually what's that? that those would be some cool people to have on the podcast yeah they would and they have i mean they're they're connected with a lot of really interesting people in the ai world themselves yeah. i don't know them personally but yeah that'd be a really interesting conversation but you can sit on sit in on them or like ask questions and i haven't been uh one of the people that's been chosen for a a question but mm. just having it on while i'm working and absorbing the conversation is really interesting every time Dang. and like they were talking about the ethics of like they don't allow for gore they don't allow for nudity um they don't allow for certain words to be even like input and the same is true with other places mm. um, people find workarounds like like blood for instance you Catch can just up. say like red, red liquid, right? <laughs> yeah. So you can describe things visually in different ways. And yeah, I, I just think like it's not mature enough to go back to your question, like about directors and things. Like even one of my videos, like generating the images to make a video is like, I don't know, eight hours, like mm. of me working with AI and then about another 10 to edit it. Together. Yeah, you have to put it on beat and everything. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, like, none of it's really automated. Like, the images kind of are, but I have to spend a lot of time getting them to the point where, like, there's a consistency between them. And, like, then I have to go through the process of upscaling them to mm -hmm. get to the high resolution and then making many of those. And each, and then there's like a limited queue of 12 at a time that you can have in a in a queue to be worked on and it works on three at a time mm. so there's not like a fast way of making one and even though it is faster like if i were to hand draw every frame of a video that would be like a i don't know year-long multi-year-long project right so you don't uh, you don't think like ai is taking over in the next 10 years <laughs> i don't think so yeah i don't i mean that'd be really surprising like it's definitely not gonna be mid-journey yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> mid journey is kind of like bob ross energy this is like happy <laughs> just happy to be around making stuff you know um yeah. the community is like really positive and like everyone's sharing like how they make things and what they're up to um so i've been trying to keep some of that energy in in youtube um of like a positive vibe um but i yeah i don't think it's taking anyone's like existing job i think like i have photographer friends like a lot of their their craft is making high-end photography and one of them his name is michael pop uh he's out here in brooklyn as well he does like like really high-end like still photography like for like products and like jewelry and um sculptures and artwork and things like so he works with artists and creators to document their things but mm -hmm. he also does like just beautiful commercial photography and he's doing like an interesting project right now where he says on his Instagram and I'm like kind of 
maybe, I don't know if I'm giving it away, but he's like, I got my film back because he develops actual film photography. Mm-hmm. I got my film back in the lab and here's a rundown of everything. And like, but they're all AI generated. And mm. So like some people just accept it. But then if you see like a face, you're like, something's weird about that. Like the uncanny Valley thing. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's recreating his own photography is what he's doing. So he's putting in prompts into Dolly. Oh yeah, you can do that. Right to the point where he's recreating a photo he already took without it knowing about the photo. Oh. Yeah. So he that's his challenge. Like he's it's like a parallel digital universe, but he's crafted like to replicate he's already shot a real photo of this thing, like a I don't know, a gemstone or something. Then over here he's made the AI version. So he's publishing AI versions of his real work and like holy shit that is like a nuance that i think is really interesting like can artists be mad at him is he still in his own job yeah like, you know damn that's crazy because you should check out it's it's pretty simple honestly i don't know if you you might just want to look at it for a second app app.wombo but um like you can upload an image and then it'll recreate it as ai so that's what i was yeah. thinking you were saying at first but like that's crazy to like just wow so like for instance, I did something similar. My friend has um, um, an NFT. It's they're called Moonbirds. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're like owls. Like, I don't know why mm-hmm. not. Right. So like, so he he has an owl. He has a moonbird, and it has a specific design, right? Because that's why he chose it. And um, we were chatting. He was like, "Do you think you could try to figure out how? Like, could you try to generate my bird? My my bird mm. like i got it like 95 96 like it was like almost the bird like it was he took it and he like flipped it but like you could even be specific you could say like a three-fourths angle right of of the face and like you can be descriptive on like how you're posing the characters and things so if you are good at making artwork and describing artwork and being able to describe visually what you're seeing or what you're mentally seeing and wanting to see in an artwork, like you can be better than other people using AI too. Yeah. And that comes from the creative mindset then. Yeah. Or just like your understanding of art history or Ooh, true, like different drawing techniques, like cross hatching or shading or like the Aesop video I made, like I, I told it to be MC Escher, but drawn with a graphite pencil, right? Yeah, that was so funny. I had my friend had just literally like two hours before you released that. My my friend had just told me about like when I get when I get like he's like what was he saying when he like gets introspective or whatever he just looks at his wall and at the MC Escher painting he has and I'm like wow and that, so I was just thinking about that all day and he's like. There's something special about this guy and I was like, Yeah, you're right. And then you dropped that video, it was like, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Escher was like my all time favorite. Like I, I just he just captivated me when I was like really small and like it's not gone away. Yeah. Um I I got lucky to saw one of his, his exhibit in Boston. Like I, I was just going to I was visiting a friend in Boston and we ended up going to an art museum. I didn't look to see who was there and just happened to be Escher mm. for the guest exhibit. And I just, yeah, I was super happy about that. Fuck. I love, I've been going, 
I haven't gone in the past, like, I'd probably say, I haven't gone in probably four or five months at this point. But, like, I, I've been starting to get really into going to, like, museums and stuff. They're, they're cool. Yeah. It, uh, since you're into music, I, I mean, is that he's Yasin Bey now, but most deaf Yasin Bey. Yeah, yeah. He, like, did a, a specific album mm. that I don't, I live not too far from Brooklyn Museum and I didn't actually get to hear it, but it's an album that was only played in the exhibit that you yeah. had to like leave your phones outside and you just went in and experienced the album and that's the only place you could hear it. Yeah, like, I heard about that. That's crazy. That's almost, that's real, that's like real life NFT. <laughs> right. That's a true one of one. Yeah. Like Wu Tang did that with their one record too, right? Yeah. Um, like, I mean, artwork, like traditional artwork is one of one. Mm-hmm. Um, like a vinyl, right? Like you can control how many are produced, right? So like those have always been limited runs or like prints or, I mean, you can make anything limited. It's just like proving that it's limited. Like trading cards are real popular and like again, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those are rare. Like some of them are one of one and but they you could make more of them right but then they're not the thing because we all agreed upon it being the thing it's similar to money <laughs> yeah 100 <Yeah. 100%. laughs> percent. um yeah i wanted to talk to you briefly about this but then also dive into the other one what do you what are your opinions on like the ai generated like rap videos of like jfk rapping tupac and then also did you were you following the ai generated rapper that got kicked off that record label recently <laughs> i i only heard about him after that they got kicked off mm-hmm. um actually i haven't seen the jfk one like you're talking about oh there's a lot of them there's like on youtube um i haven't seen them as much lately i bet if i just looked it up it would pop up but i Is would it the deep fakes yeah 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 so it would be like okay. deep fakes of like donald trump rapping Wiz Khalifa yeah. or jfk rapping a biggie song Sure. Or anything like that. I remember like a year or two ago, that was like always in my YouTube feed. So what, what do you, I guess, yeah, what, what, I guess that kind of relates back to like the rap God thing. Do, sure. you, do you think there's a moral thing about like trying to make, because hmm. a lot of the time, I guess I hold AI artwork to a different degree than music because a lot of those if you're yeah. saying MC Escher or like Picasso, most of those people have passed away. So I feel like I have less attachment to that versus like if you're rapping as Kanye and they're still alive, I guess I'm kind of more like morally is that okay to do? But then you were also saying who owns that property. Right. So that was a interesting problem when we were like making that tech, right? Like, so you could, like choose the the name of the rapper even because it just like learn like you're basically the ai is only drawing from that person's lyrics but it knows all of them mm-hmm. right um because we could all find that information online right yeah. it's it's there so pulling from data that we could all be inspired by and then making something new like it's just what art is as a whole like you you see stuff you steal a little bit of from like 30 places and you make something new right and that's every, I mean, that's every album 
also like hip hop albums, like sa- like samples of everything. So, mm-hmm. um, and you got all these like mashups like on SoundCloud and everything. Like they're just like little bits of not your music, mm-hmm. right? So, um, the interesting part was like in order to say like, okay, this software, this app, this AI writing tool can output something in that tone of that person like the nuance of like kanye or whoever mm-hmm. um then you need their permission to say that right right it's where that like if we didn't go like we weren't trying to be like official like if we just released it kind of like i did the youtube video just kind of for fun and then that's less of a problem like because it's just like a a fun project that's out there but when you're trying to capitalize on it you need to like give some ownership of to who it's credited to mm-hmm. and and we were running like because we were having meetings with like publishers and people that own the rights to like some of these artists and like they're not they were not comfortable with that at all like right. at all but the outcome was like everything that was output we were checking against plagiarism like it wasn't something that they previously said mm-hmm so we weren't sure either like we were just saying like here's the thing that does this thing (laughs) like so um (laughs) and and we wanted it to be equitable so like there was like a back end where you could replay like from a blank text to like what you'd fully written and it'd be like okay nast wrote 30 percent ben wrote 40 percent ai wrote 30 percent oh shit wow so you could split ownership so you could you could even like break it apart for rights so if you wanted to like collaborate with three people and 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 two of the ais then like you could split up ownership and figure out how to how to split that if you're making money with it that was like an underlying tech that was less that was more for like those from those conversations we had we needed to show like you could eventually like include that into like blockchain technology right so you could see like there's no idea and here's the full idea and here's how it was birthed Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah writing credits and all that are important as well because if you think if you look at like a lot of kanye's music he's almost like a director as well like a lot of his songs has so many collaborations on it as well so that's kind of interesting though if you think about it in that way how do you know for sure if it's copying what Kanye's saying versus a collective of people that are helping Kanye write that song you know sure or like like uh, Andy Warhol is controversial in the same way because he had like a factory of people just making art and he just was telling them what to make right wait wait who's that oh, my friend was telling my friend despises what's that guy's name like the infinite ball guy or like he makes the um this huge like the metal bunny you know oh um what's his name it's uh i've watched a documentary about it that was just, like, i know you're talking about but he's like a like an art world like golden child but like people um fuck what is his name there's a whole documentary I watched. They just like shitting. Like they had him in the documentary, so it wasn't like a hit piece or anything by any means. But they had all these other artists, and they obviously had like a little bit of an edge where they were like talking shit about him on the documentary. Um, I'm I'm googling it while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, may, what is it like? He had the bunny rabbits. He has that 
the infinite ball of something. Um, but that guy, he has makes these huge sculptures um, for the audience. He makes these huge sculptures, but he has like a whole almost like factory of people working on it. Or like he'll have these huge paintings. And then like if you look at the people that are actually, he'll make the design, but then he'll have like people painting it. And it'll be like very logistical, like one person's painting top left, right corner with this palette and the other side, you know, in the middle, someone's doing this and the other side, this. And the the controversy is like, is it actually his artwork or is it everyone else's artwork and they're not getting credit for it, really? Right. I mean, and then you'd argue like they're employees, right? So like there's from his perspective, he's paying them, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's like it, it feels a little weird. Like as in, like I don't even feel full ownership of like these videos I made. Like I feel like I directed them, mm-hmm. and I they were my idea, but like something else made the images. It's not I didn't make the images. Have artists reached out to you yet about it? Like about working with you? Yeah, actually, a good amount actually. That's super cool. Um. Yeah, I don't think I can talk about it yet, but there is a, a thing in the works that is I'm really excited with hip hop. Dude, uh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um I was yeah, I was listening to some unreleased projects the other day and uh I'm gonna be collaborating with some people that I that I've been a fan of for a long time. <sighs> yeah. Hell yeah. So yeah. what 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 is your like relationship with with hip hop? Because the music videos you have been releasing have been hip hop centric, with sure. so um, if you're spending like you said hours like on Mid Journey and then hours editing, you obviously have to like that type of music to spend that much time and in, invested in making a music video around yeah. that. So hmm. yeah, so like what yeah, what is your connection relationship with hip hop? I'm trying to think like when, when it kind of like came into my life, like it wasn't something I kind of grew up with in early, early life. Like mm. it's probably, I think probably elementary school was probably like towards the end of elementary school, maybe like it was, you know, it was like a bunch of like weird nineties, early stuff that like transitioned into like what we know hip-hop to be now and like there's obviously it started like the 70s and even a little bit earlier in some other music but Mm -hmm. um to me it's the most creative music like as a whole but like there was years in high school i was like real into like rock and metal and stuff but i was like always going back to to like hip-hop when i was especially like drawing or or just wanting to like relax and i don't think i can relax and listen to like like a rage against the machine song mm-hmm. you know what i mean like equally as creative and like poignant and like amazing but um just for like the energy of the music like it is just to me the most creative and just is like stimulating like you have like triple entendres and like wordplay that is just it evokes imagery. So I have in the past drawn things that just come to mind while I'm listening to music, right? It doesn't necessarily have to relate. Like, it's not like a literal translation of the lyrics like we're doing now, like, mm-hmm. but it's just like uh, drawing 
and flowing with it because yeah, it's just, I think it's the most creative form of music that we have currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, what's it like living in Brooklyn, New York? Cause there's so many artists have come out of there, you know, like, yeah. is it, I, I went to New York recently for, I was on tour with a comedian, but I was, uh, I was in like, um, Manhattan. Um, but what is it, what is it like being in Brooklyn? Like, can, can you see the culture that hip hop has like impacted on the city at all? I would say so. Like, I'm not super plugged into like the, um, like the hip hop scene here. Like Mm -hmm. I've gone to a bunch of shows and things, but, um, like you see it like, well, one, if you're just listening to hip hop and you're walking around Brooklyn, you're experiencing the places that a lot of music was talked, like made and talked about. Right. So mm-hmm. like it was made here. A lot of the things that are like, of the like cool Keith lives here. Right. Like, yeah, I made one of his videos with Dr. Octagon and I went to a small show that he, you know, he was just like hanging out with like a hundred people having a concert, <laughs> you know? So that's really neat. Like, you have i feel like there's a like i walked into it was a union square i was going to get on the train to come back to brooklyn and there was just like a cypher freestyle cypher happening right so i hung out for like an hour just watching that happen Mm -hmm. um i'm not musically gifted myself like i've done karaoke before but no one wants that (laughs) Um, but like so like from a fan perspective it's just it's like artwork that i don't know how to make right and so i just enjoy it from like that perspective and so any sort of collaboration with it i feel like fuels my creativity um other music like can be nice at times like other genres Mm -hmm. um like i went to i saw rage perform recently at madison square garden and run the jewels opened oh shit that's super dope yeah but like what a combo right yeah um i can see it though honestly yeah, no, it works great. Um, but it's also interesting that Run the Jewels is opening for someone, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's how big Rage is, and so, and they have like a rock, but they kind of have a hip hop cadence, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's just like you see it in in Brooklyn in the sense that like, like if you're over in Bed Stuy and you go to the train stop that is the J and Z train. That's where he gets his name. Right. So you can see that like, mm-hmm. or you can like, there's murals of Biggie all over the place or, um, yeah. So it's, it's neat to like, know that or like visualize places that you only had listened to previously. You can, you can go experience them. And like I've spent time in LA and the truth out there too. It's mm-hmm. true out there as well. So, um, it's different than when it was, written about and it's like the world's changed so drastically since then and so like i understand like that dynamic of me walking around pinpointing hip-hop places but like um yeah it's just a it's very creative and um i appreciate that about about the genre yeah i i think that's awesome i was literally the meeting i just had um before we got on this um interview was talking i was talking to someone that works at one of the um main like media companies like newspaper companies in seattle and um one thing that seattle's struggling with right now is finding culture and back to the tech you 
can't blame everything on tech. Okay. I, I admit that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot I learned a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um what happens in Seattle is a lot of these people, um, tech people move to Seattle, um, which raises the price of living in Seattle. So like true Seattleites have to move farther and farther outside of Seattle. But a lot of these tech people that move to Seattle, um, there's a there's quite a few that plant their roots here, but there's also a lot of tech people who only move here for a few years to work at a, Amazon or Microsoft, and then it's on to the next thing. Yeah. But just because those people are on to the next thing doesn't mean that prices go back down, right? So the people that actually help um, form the culture in Seattle are no longer in Seattle, and the people that are only here for a few years, they're like, where's the culture, right? And they're not going to be the ones that form the culture, right? So Seattle's in a weird place right now where it's not, it's obviously a tech city, but it's still very green out here, you know? We're in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but it's pretty obvious that we're lacking culture. And one of the, you know, the reasons I have this podcast is to like uplift people from all different parts of the world, but also inspire Seattle artists to be like, we can have a culture here, right? Um, so to hear you being like, even from a fan perspective of hip hop, being like, I know things have changed, but we have this type, there's still culture in Brooklyn. I think that's kind of inspiring and cool to, cool to see. And I think Seattle can get back. Can't I don't know if we've ever were at that place. We can get to a place like that, though. Yeah, and I feel like Brooklyn is also, like, it also that depends on who you ask, right? Like, I've lived here three years, so I might be part of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, um, I've seen, like, I live in, like, a neighborhood that's not, like, it's not a trendy touristy neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. And and because of that like there's a little bit of everyone here and to me that's more comfortable than like if i'm living in a place where everyone looks like me right right like i kind of grew up with that until i moved away to houston to like be in school there and like that's where i felt more oh like if if i'm in a more of a small town texas place like that's a little bit weirder for me and less comfortable than a place that has everyone from everywhere mm -hmm. um and you just like learn so much more every day but like to your point like about culture and then like people coming in and then not learning about the culture because mm -hmm. to me that's really interesting like where you live there's a history there and that's really gives it more of a flavor right like you like it's unique yeah. like so you can go to seattle and like learn what makes seattle seattle and then like acclimate to that versus like impose your will on seattle and yeah. like like and i don't know if any of that's necessarily intentional but people are doing that and like in texas that's true brooklyn that's true um there are people like because of jobs being like remote right like a tech job you can work a lot a lot of times wherever you want mm -hmm. not not all the time but people do that and so like i know that i was even reading an article about that happening like in mexico city right now like they're a lot of tech people because it's central time zone right so you're not you're living somewhere that's much cheaper to live and you're like getting us dollars and you can basically like live like a king right so like mm -hmm. that's problematic to the people that live there their whole life 
and have a hard time making money to get by in the current economy. So like, I feel like that it's happening in like a lot of places. Like I, I, I moved here from Austin, but I'm spent the most of my life in Houston and in Austin, I, I witnessed that. Like I've, I have family in Texas and I've gone to Austin my most of my life, like at different points, yeah. but I didn't, live, I didn't live there till like 2016. And it was way like it was like I moved to a new place to me. Like it, I hadn't been there in multiple years, and then like I moved there, and like in downtown Austin, there are manhole covers that are like full on metal manhole covers, but they're, it's, it says Google instead of like the utility company or like <laughs> Amazon or whatever, yeah. and it's because it's all their their wiring and infrastructure below the ground there. Um, there's like signs that say like autonomous vehicles in the area, you know, like <laughs> that's craziness. So, but then like the same problem that you're describing, like people getting pushed out. And so then like there's a slogan and I think Portland has it too, but it's like keep Austin weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then people move there and they don't, it has like an identity crisis. I think that's what you're describing about Seattle. Right. Where, the people that live there don't recognize it, but they live there their whole lives. And then the people that are moving there think it should be something that's in their head. And each person that moves there has a different thought on what key Boston weird is. And so then they're all like trying to make it that thing. And then it becomes a new thing. And then like, but then it becomes, like you said, more expensive. And um, there's even like a, and so you see like the east sides of towns usually being like converted into like new living and i don't know if that's true in in seattle as well but is the east side being converted hmm the east side has always been kind of a wealthier area in seattle i would say i would say it's more so seattle's a really weird and i'm also not a geographical guy or whatever <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> but um, from my understanding and from my experience being in Seattle, um, the farther away you get from Seattle, um, the cheaper it gets. Um, and within 45 minutes or 30, 30 to 45 minutes, it becomes like farmland, right? But a lot of that farmland's being turned into like cities or towns you know like um my grandma when she moved to the east side of seattle in the 70s it was uh all farmland and now it's one of the biggest like uh cities outside of seattle it's like probably it's like it's called redmond and it's about probably 30 minutes 20 30 minutes outside of seattle and now it's like one of the big metropolitan cities in in uh, greater Seattle, right? Um, But what I, versus when I went to LA, it seemed like the heart of LA was where all the homeless people were and the farther outside of LA you get, the more expensive it is. Seattle's kind of the the opposite. But, um, you know, so the further out you get from Seattle gets a little bit more poor but then they keep pushing that out farther because they're putting up more like Amazon companies. Yeah. So they keep going. But people aren't really the 
the lower income areas aren't pushing out east. They're mostly pushing out north, which goes up to like Everett, Washington, or south towards Tacoma, Washington. That's interesting. I You've probably heard the, the term like other side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And I watched a TED talk about that a long time ago. And it helped like it reframed a lot of things for me because like in Austin and in Houston, the east side of the town used to be like, I mean, it still is mixture, but like, it's like, like poor, like side of town. And then like where a lot of artists were. Mm. Right. So like in, in Brooklyn, there's a neighborhood called Dumbo. It's like where the carousel is on the other side of the water. Like when you're looking at the skyline, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like you, if you're in Dumbo, you can just like, you're right across the water looking at Manhattan. And so, um, back in the day that was just all artists because it was like a weird, like seaside area. Now it's just like tourist central, but like the other side of the tracks thing was like, everyone was bringing things into cities on train. Right. And like, there's all this dirty coal smoke in the air, like exhaust essentially. Yeah. And the winds were pushing it east more often than not so people like the rich people didn't want to live on the east sides Mm. and they so that's where they like let poor people live or like force them to i guess yeah but like so that's where that term comes from is because it's like inherently like polluted interesting like that's different now because of how we receive goods and things but like we pollute in so many other ways but that's why those areas of town, at least that's true in Austin and Houston, but the Ted talk was also mentioning other cities. Um, that that's kind of where that comes from, but that it's interesting how like back in the day, suburban suburbia was like where people with money went to buy houses. And then everyone was like, like the cities were kind of poor. And then like, it kind of is reversed. Right. Now. Right. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense because a lot of Seattle artists, even 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 Seattle artists that are only in their thirties or so, they used to live in Seattle coming up, and now they can't even really live in Seattle anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That like, makes and sense. I live like Manhattan is the same distance from I'm about thirty minutes to Manhattan, and I'm about thirty minutes to Coney Island. So I'm like in the middle for a similar reason. Like I don't one, I don't want to live in Manhattan, but like. I also don't want to live in like a super trendy part of Brooklyn either. Cause one, it's super expensive, but like, um, yeah, just like walking around in your neighborhood. Like there's at least a neighborhood vibe where I'm at as opposed to like in Manhattan, it's a lot of people that don't live there just coming and going. And there's like mm-hmm. this transient energy that is a little uns- like not unsettling, but it's like not calm. A hundred percent. I would say, it's, I will say, especially where I'm at in life, when I did visit it, New York, it was very inspiring because of like how busy and people were go go go, which I could appreciate. I can't appreciate where I'm at right now. Yeah, but um, well, I like going to it and then like experiencing it and then like coming true, home. Yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to live in the city there. <laughs> yeah, like it's the city that never sleeps. That might be a little. It's, it'd be an experience for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's very true. Damn, that's true. Um, lastly, I, I do want to. I don't think we really covered the. 
it's a little trendy, so I feel like it works to talk about the AI, the AI yeah. rapper that got um, kicked off Epic. I think it was what was it? It wasn't Epic. It might have been Warner Brothers. I forget. We're missing all the information here. But there was an AI rapper who had been on like social media and TikTok, I think, since like 2018, and he gained enough prominence that it was given like a record deal. And within like a matter of days, it was completely shut down. Um, and this is a story of everything that went wrong, though. So yeah. So basically, um, it was there was a there's a black guy that was voicing the AI. The, a, the yeah the AI, and um the creators of the AI weren't paying the black guy. So that was one thing. So he wasn't going to get cut any part of that record deal. It was literally just going to go to the creators. Um, the AI was very like stereotypical and rapping about like shooting guns and selling drugs, even though it had never done that. So I forget, but there was like this black movement that came forward and like wrote this whole like ceases and desist type deal where it was like, you're profiting off of people's lives and it's literally just an AI bot that's never dealt with anything like that. So there were yeah. stereotypes and there was also the fact that they weren't really paying the guy who was voicing the AI in the first place. So um, that made the whole deal come crumbling down. Sure. But do you see something like that happening in the future where it is successful? Maybe. Like, um, like I, I know that similar things have happened. Like, there's a, I think Microsoft made a Twitter bot that was all AI powered. Mm -hmm. And similar thing, they had to, like, just turn it off because it's it gained intelligence through all the interactions people had with it on Twitter. So, you know, it became, like, the worst version of the internet instantly. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, which is, like, at its core kind of funny, but, like, yeah it's not funny when it's like an, a person like a imitating a person right like like you, this rapper yeah. scenario like there's a lot of vote uh like text to audio speech ais but they're all learning on other audio samples right so like uber duck is a website you can go and like put text in and like have eminem's voice or you know whatever right i so, do stuff like that for like little commercials yeah and like they sound weird, but like it, if it's your voice, that's been like sampled to become an AI, then you should have some sort of ownership of like, there's an agreement there. Like to, you should have some ownership of that, especially if someone else doesn't know it's AI and you're saying something that you would not say as a, in real life. Mm -hmm. And like, it doesn't, so it's it's interesting. The same problem in a way has happened to people that are like stock image people, right? Like stock photos. Right. If you're a stock photo person, you could be like on something like very wholesome, but then you could be on something very terrible. Yeah. My dog's heading back there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh Oh, there's this app oh, fuck. There what is it called? There was this I forget where I saw it, and I used it once or twice. There's like this stock image AI website that creates pictures of people that have never existed before. It's like, yeah, it's called this. This person does not exist. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
But sometimes exactly. it glitches out, and there's like someone like eye on the top of the forehead, and then like sometimes it's like you could tell this wasn't real. But yeah. Well, like the kind of going back to when I was in the like working on the other AI mm-hmm. that that was some of our like moral dilemma of like the ownership of it. Right. And even like with some of these videos I'm making, right. Like I'm showing what AI can do, but like, I don't own the song. So it's like, um, I don't know. It feels, feels a little bit weird, but, um, there, there are record labels that are, they like the idea of an AI entity that is making entertainment. Yeah. Tupac was a hologram at a con concert, but he's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's, that's wild. That's like borderline, like resurrection. Right. Mm-hmm. And like Tupac's not even approving that, like someone else is making money. Like there's multiple people making money that aren't Tupac. And in the same with that, the rapper you're just describing, like the AI rapper with like someone's voice that is the rapper. Mm-hmm. But then there's, like so there's record labels i forget the girls there's an instagram account where it's like a digital influencer that's not necessarily ai but it's like 3d rendered like i know what you're talking about that girl's weird Michaela. Michaela i think they shut her down or something recently too i forget but that's owned by like record labels and they like the the thing there is there's not a person that pushed back against your creative thing like they're just making this digital person do whatever it is they want so they own not only the ip of the outcomes but they own the entity that is creating them mm-hmm. and so it's like owning a person and just like it's kind of like britney spears in a way like with, with all of her ownership like yeah. i'm laughing because that's not that's not funny it's just like that's terrible it's awkward it's like a defense mechanism laugh. like like She's a real person that, that kind of happened to, not kind of happened to. And then like this AI is a version of that. It's problematic. I, I, it's a tool that can be used by anyone, right? So right. you're going to run into these like edge cases that are, I would say in the minority, but they're going to cause the most controversy too. Mm-hmm. And then people are going to think that AI is that as a whole, but um it should be like and it's created by people right ai is created by people it's learning whatever is we teach them so like it should be delicate just like it would you're teaching a, a small child like you should be kind you should like instill some good values in it it should be helpful yeah like is the ai working like does it want to be working i don't know like we can't make those decisions now but there might be ethics in the p- future like does the AI even want to be doing this? It's like, kill like, me now. Kill me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. So, so where do you, where I want to say a lot of years just so that that's enough time to be creative with it. Where do you see AI in the next, let's say 50 years? Sure. Man, I don't know. Cause it's advanced even in the four years since I was really like in it last like it's advanced so far, but it still feels really like in its infancy. Got it. Um, I feel like I feel like if we're looking at like the chart of evolution, like the fish is like walking like now maybe mm-hmm. like 
maybe there's like an, a leg popping out of a fish. Like it's not quite walking, but it's you're like, oh, you're kind of walking. You're doing a good job. Like right now it feels like there's a lot of people are amazed by it, but there's still like, a, oh, it's kind of dumb. Like, and there are like smarter, like each AI, like we're saying this is siloed, like really intelligent on this one topic. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if we're able to mesh these together and like, I think there's, I don't know if you've heard the term neural network, but you can kind of create many entities that speak to, uh, amongst each other and you could just basically like tether a lot of different information together. So like it's an Amazon echo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's all this data that lives everywhere and when it, when we're able to like sort it faster and then make future predictions with it on, on behaviors or um, maybe it's creating artwork or helping you auto complete your email when you're writing in Gmail, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are all AI assisted things that we have now that we're kind of taking for granted. Um, So I feel like in a lot of ways, it's going to just get smarter based on learning humans behavior and helping us do like everyday tasks in a more efficient way. So you can just kind of be more focused on the things that you care about. Like that's like a really positive view of what it could be. Mm-hmm. I think like the Deltron video is like a negative, like the, the fearful view of what might happen. Like everything's going to blow up and like the rich are going to get richer. Like if I'm thinking about what will happen, like there's an idealistic thing that would happen where everyone has like it's equitable, but I think it's just going to be like parts of it are going to be used to sell things more. Like, so ads are going to get more sophisticated. They already are. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to get ads on our Instagram feeds about things we're talking about. Right. So yeah, like idealistically, it's going to be like for the good of humanity and we're going to have like assistance and being like being able to be a little bit more human uh, by like not having to worry about mundane everyday tasks. Mm-hmm. That's what I think would be good. Um, yeah, monitoring like even like your health or like preventative things like that. Like where you can detect things before it's a problem. Um, there's a lot of that already happening with like manufacturing and computers are doing a lot of that, but automated driving i think is something i would love to have i don't i I drive but i don't i don't have a car but like when i drive it's a kind of a stressful experience especially here in brooklyn new york but like if if all cars were automated and talking to each other then there wouldn't probably be accidents right Mm -hmm. but then i don't think we'll ever fully get there either so unless we're like irobot one day i might (laughs) have to rewatch that movie irobot it's a good one. But then you like surrender your freedom of being able to drive wherever you want at whatever speed you want for just getting in a car that could turn off and take you home because or return itself to the dealership because you haven't paid your car note or <laughs> like so Damn, that's a good point. <laughs> you used to yeah. wake up your cars. <laughs> but yeah. then if you think about it, that's taken away from like Dog the Bounty Hunter and those type of guys that collect those like the, the Yeah. The um unpaid cars wow see ai yeah. taking everyone's jobs <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> poor dog the bounty hunter dog the, that's funny as fuck um 
so so with that um yeah i think we covered a lot a lot of ai stuff um we we both dabbled in as much knowledge as we know about nfts as we could um, sure thank you for coming on the podcast what is um some advice that you have for up and coming artists creators influencers hmm and just stay curious i think being curious understanding like try to understand the world around you what like double down on things that make you happy and bring you joy. Um, if you make something and you like it, more than likely someone else is going to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make it for that reason. Make it because it makes you happy. And be be as curious as possible to try to learn from different people, different places, different experiences, and like pull inspiration from all those things. And then you can make something that only your brain could do because it's your unique experience and if it's true to you then it'll honestly be understood by more people than just you Mm -hmm. but yeah that's what i'd say (laughs) and ai is our friend for for now at least yeah i think honestly like we shouldn't at at the core like if we're going to be have a healthy fear be friendly to AI and be kind <laughs> to it so, like, <laughs> so that it'll remember. Like a crow. Don't crows hold grudges or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> I think they do. They're smart. Yeah, and they can like figure out uh, puzzles. Yeah, so just be kind to AI. Don't yell at your Alexa. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been a few times where I've said thank you to Midjourney. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I would too. That's it's it's made some crazy art with you. That's super cool. Um, check out what. Where can people find uh, your music videos? By the way. Yeah. So, um, YouTube. My channel is Ben Gillen. B E N G I L L I N. Um, and that same handle, uh, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, TikTok. I'm mo- I'm focusing on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that was even an accident in itself because I couldn't text my friend a 700 megabyte file. I just put it on YouTube so he could see it. Yeah. And now we're here. And I mean, that's like, that one has like over a quarter million plays. Damn. So. And do you have any, do you have any advice for people that want to upload videos to like YouTube? Cause it seems like you've had some really good success so far with your videos. I mean, it was, this has all been accidental um, on my end. Like, yeah. so I think it goes back to my previous advice. Like that applies to, a video or a painting or music you want to make, like make something that you enjoy and that you'd be happy to show a couple of your friends and it'll probably resonate with more people. So like I was making something that Deltron idea of making artwork to Deltron 3030 as an album had been in my head for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, but I was going to go about the, the tangible art way, like physical media. And I mean, like I said, it's the effort. So, I it was true to me like I already wanted to make that AI just happened to be a tool that helps me make that quicker and and so by that being true to me like it's resonated with a lot of people yeah hell yeah um I'm a fan I hope to stay connected with you next time in I'm in New York we gotta get lunch or something um I definitely want to connect um uh, a New York and uh Seattle bridge with you and Seattle artists um, who'd probably love to work with you. Um, 
whether it is for these AI generated music videos or cover art, you know, you're, you're part of the NAS community now. So um, nice. shout out yeah. to that. And um, yeah, man, this is a, uh, this has been the NAS podcast with Ben Gillen. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.